welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Dean Curtis. Dean is the Managing Director for Read Business Information a division of Relex, a FTSE 20 company and global provider of information-based analytics and decision-making tools for professional and business customers. Dean has had a wealth of international exposure, working within high-profile businesses in senior positions. Prior to, uh, to taking on the role at Reed, he also worked in the data and information industry for a number of years, worked in asset management, finance, private clients, businesses at well-known businesses like Investec, HSBC, Investment Bank, and Rothschild. In addition to the day job, Dean also holds a number of non-executive and charitable positions, helping businesses which are on need. He's very passionate indeed about making the world a better place when it comes to a business, wider society, and also uh, the world of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Finally, he was previously a professional footballer, football coach, which I'm looking forward to learning more about today. I believe he did that over in Sydney as well, and California, which sounds very glamorous indeed, where he worked for three different clubs in the Premier League, having coached all bar one continent. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thank you for having me, Leila. It's great to be here. Thanks so much indeed. And before we uh, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the podcast today, because I know there's a whole plethora of subjects that you are very passionate about, which we're going to be exploring. But I wonder for those listeners who, who perhaps don't know you and your background as well as I do, whether you might be able to kindly give us a rundown uh, of how you came to be where you are today, uh, both personally and also professionally. Because it sounds it's been an interesting, an interesting roller coaster getting up to where you are right now. And it absolutely has, and I'd like to say it was it was well planned out, but I can't say that that is actually true. I live out on the coast of Essex and, and did it at the time. I've travelled around a fair bit, but um, at that particular time, London was a very accessible place, and I had some um, friends who I used to play with previously, and those friends um, worked in the city. So I, I ended up writing a few letters to banks and heading off to the city, for a few years and um, and began in, in private client fund management and asset management, which was a great start to learn the financial services industry like I, like I did early in my career with a great business grounding. And then a few years into that, I, um, I had the opportunity of getting back into football and, and my father was a football coach. So I went through all my UEFA exams and whatever. And, and on my final exam, somebody that was there from, from Tottenham and I had the opportunity then to to go and work at the club and I did the youth team there and and then I, I also did a bit of work at Charleston and then also at Norwich for a very short period and that background has probably given me more actually in the business world than business has itself which we can probably go into a bit deeper but after traveling around the world and various different things you, you start to think well this, this football is a very short time a short-term job you know, in business, you get a few quarters to, to deal with it. In, in football, it can be two weeks and four games and, and the person you're working for loses their job. In terms of stability, really, I, I went back into the business world and from there moved into data and technology, which was a, 
uh, obviously a very emerging and disrupting theme at that time in business, which has kind of served me well, if you like. And, and in, in that world, I was in sales and commercial and presenting you know, businesses to market. I'm not sure my parents ever longed for me to be a salesperson, but nothing really happened without them. And, um, and from that, just kind of moved up the, the ranks in the businesses and now fortunate enough to be a, to be a CEO of a, a few businesses. Fantastic, fantastic. And talk to me a little bit about some of the, uh, the additional roles that, that you hold. So you're also president within the current organization as well. And, uh, and I know that you obviously do quite a few pieces on the side in addition to the day job. Yeah. So I'm a group managing director of read business information within the Relics group. So that's a portfolio of seven businesses, global businesses based around the world. I have personal responsibility for two businesses and those businesses play in the energy and petrochemical space and also aviation called ICIS and Syrian. And we basically use data to make commodity markets more transparent and predictable and also to kind of define really the future of travel, particularly in the current climate uh, with everything that's going on. And then, and then away from work, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a, 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 a very privileged life. Part of my kind of giving back is I sit on the board of a, a wonderful charity called the Lilly Foundation, which is uh, for, the, for the prevention and research and support of uh, people and families with uh, mitochondrial disease. They have a, a truly inspirational team there that just do some phenomenal things. Um, and it's my privilege to sit on the board and, and offer some, some expertise for, for that organisation. I, I mentor a, a number of people and, and help where I can in, in various different charities where, I, where I'm able. That's absolutely fantastic to hear. And it, it's all also really, how do I put it now, humbling and, and very open and honest of you to, to say, look, you're in a very privileged position, which, which clearly, you know, you're in a, in a fantastic, fantastic job, you know, a lot of influence, I'm sure, in, in what you do. But I, I absolutely agree that leaders have got that responsibility to be giving back, you know, whether they, you know, have come from a background of privilege or, or whether they haven't. And so to hear that you are obviously taking it upon yourself to do things in addition to support and send the lift back down is uh, is excellent and you know i think you know just t- taking privilege a- a- as a term i think still these days a lot of people tend to find it an awkward one to discuss and uh, i'm not saying i don't see why but i think actually all of us or many of us have a certain level of privilege and it's important to recognize that and to balance out the, the the good things that we can do given the positions that we all are in and clearly never has there been a more important time than right now which it would be remiss of me not to ask you but how are you finding things at present given COVID-19 and, and are you finding it challenging within your business and within your sector? Uh, of course it's it's challenging, right, for, for everybody on the planet. But, but um, there's something kind of exciting about that, in all honesty, from a business and leadership perspective. Nobody on the planet can profess to having gone through this before. I probably, my biggest weakness personally is my, is my kind of work rate and inability to relax and pause and slow down and take stock. And the world, I'm not saying we can slow down much, really, but the world is telling us to pause which is, a, I think, a positive thing for a lot of people to be able to assess. Um, and, and history shows, I think, in times like this, that 
um, individual and societal needs come closer and closer together in, in periods of crisis, which has to be a positive thing, right? So my only hope from all of this, apart from the fact that they find a, a vaccine as, as quickly as possible, is that is that we all learn lessons from this and and come out of it with uh, you know stronger individuals, teams, businesses, and communities. Because it would be a shame if we didn't. You know, it, it would be a shame if we longed to go back to everything that we had before. I think all of us have got some positive habits and things through this period of time that we potentially wouldn't had. And it could be something as simple as remote working, flexible working, even for a lot of managers. You know, we have people homeschooling children and it's nice to see them come in and, and, and see them in the back of the video conference. Whereas before yeah. the parents were, don't, don't come in, I'm doing a conference call. It's, you know, it's, it's their home and, and, and you see more of the real person. So taking some of that stigma away, I think is positive, but all in all, you know, it, it, you have to start to look at, I think the, the period of fear and uncertainty was the first part and now you start to look and wade through it of what's going to happen in the future how long will this go on for how do you plan for the future and there'll be opportunities that come from it and whilst it's it's not right and the definition of success has changed pretty considerably for almost every business on the planet it, it does provide opportunities and and i guess the only other thing i would add to that really is is culture is probably more important now than it's ever been before and I think the businesses, and this is great for, for, for DNI in particular, right? Because the businesses that were set up well culturally are, are absolutely going to be the businesses that prevail from this. Because if you have a, a common purpose, and I'm a huge believer that people aren't motivated by money, of course, everybody needs the money that they need to, to have the, uh, you know, to live. But I, I think behind every every successful person, there is a, a connection to a purpose and something bigger. And every organisation I lead, I want to really bring that purpose out so that, that people can really give their all. If the game means more, people play better. And I think that when people are sat in their homes all over the world, at manage you know, 1,200 of people in, in 17 countries, and, and I want them to know they're trusted right it's not the old way of, of of leaning above your cubicle or the middle management and seeing the staff all there you know there's so much positive coming from this like as i mentioned the flexible but they can only do that if everybody's connected to a single purpose and they know what their role in the team is and how they are connected with each other so my own belief is that, that if your culture was stronger before this period of time it serves you better and so whilst nobody could have predicted this, the businesses that have paid attention to that, I believe, have been really training for this moment without really knowing it. Mm -hmm. that, that's really interesting what you're saying there. And, and again, I absolutely concur. I think what we are going to see is a fascinating, almost a, a, a divide between those businesses that have really stepped up to the plate and have been able to be nimble and agile enough to actually uh, you know, change and, and pivot their ways of working such to reflect the current business environment, but also those teams who have, whether they've got a great culture to start with or whether they've had, you know, a culture that perhaps could have been better, you know, those that really manage to harness that, that commonality and the common purpose, as you say, are the ones that are more likely to have the resilience to be able to get through these choppy waters and ultimately come out of the other side. And again, you, you rightly say, look, no one has got a, a, a 
crystal ball in uh, in this situation. You know, we really, as leaders, how much can we plan for things like this? But at the same time, there are businesses that are seizing this opportunity. Clearly, which which you are and, and your team is, Dean, and thinking right. We've uh, we've almost been preparing all of our life. You know, all the management books, the management spiel that we've heard. This literally, this is absolutely. You know, it, it could be a a, a big big game changer you know you know I speak to a lot of executives and, and I hear people talking about being sort of agents for change and, and all this kind of stuff and and it's fantastic but I think God never is there a more relevant time for us genuinely to be those actual physical agents for change not only because we want to but because we have to there's no, you know, crisis makes people change, right? And I think it will accelerate some of the change that was happening anyway. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. But that comes again; it comes from culture. And if you have a, a very inclusive culture that is diverse, that promotes different ideas, different ways of thinking, and innovation, you're more likely to spot the opportunities of of tomorrow and, and be able to adapt your resources to capture those there will be some very very successful businesses that end up growing that began at this moment in time and, and that's because in my opinion they do things like that well indeed indeed and obviously the business you operate is one that's very well known very high up in 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 the FTSE you uh, you guys and girls are very very proud of, of how diverse the organization is and I and you know of course not just within gender and within within fame etc um, but within many different facets I wonder whether you could kind of talk us through a little bit about uh, about some of the makeup of, of your your diverse global team but also because you're obviously you know a data and analytics expert what your thoughts are about uh, about the, the future you know what are we seeing in terms of possible trends and and, and changes moving forward um, yeah so so overall in relics we have thirty three thousand staff and um and, and there's a there's a strong emphasis on diversity inclusion and also our role in the community so every staff member gets two days off per year to contribute to a charity of their choice. There's lots of stuff we do like that, which I just think is phenomenal. Again, it gives people purpose. We're, we're a FTSE 20 company. Everybody that works for us is, is very privileged. Um, I'm not saying everything is always great in terms of um, in any business at the moment, but you know, certainty is absolutely increased in value during this period. In terms of um, read business information, you know, we, we take this seriously. Joe Portlock, our, our DNI lead, is, is is a strong presence on the leadership team and across the business. We we trained over a thousand managers last year on things like unconscious bias training, which has had a, a very big impact. And we're following that up this year with the inclusive leadership skills training. The first thing is is just making sure that there's absolutely visible demographics to ensure or demonstrate that the workplace is fair, equal and unbiased to everyone in our approach to, um, to talent management. And we have, a, we have a fairly good mix. One of the businesses I, I, I lead is, is a business called ICIS, the energy business. You know, we have about 600 odd staff of which um, they're based in uh, main offices in 17 countries. We have other odd employees in different places around the world as well. We have 43 nationalities. 52% female on the gender side, uh, 65% are millennials, but we also have 6% uh, baby boomers and, and a, a fairly large number of people that have been in the business over 20 years. And that mix really helps, A, respect the legacy and heritage of the industry and the business we work in, but also 
drive future change and, and solve the problems of tomorrow. We also, um, unfortunately, and I think this is the same with any new thing, is, is we, it, the staff, we all have KPOs. Uh, they come from me, I have them, but all of the staff have them. And managers around hiring and making sure that we have diverse candidate slates, uh, but ensuring that we get the best talent and also uh, objectives around uh, a high performance, uh, high performance uh, culture, which is, is a very fluffy term, but you know, we, we ultimately define what that is and what makes, you know, kind of makes that. There's, we, there's regular group talent reviews of rising talent and diverse talent to, short, to ensure that people aren't left behind. And that happens a lot in business. There are particular cultures that may not be as prominent in their aggressive career you know discussions where's my next move what am i doing how are you supporting me get there some people just don't feel comfortable with that right and, and it's our job to ensure that because they don't do it they're not left behind so there's there's a lot more you know, there's, a, there's a lot we're doing um, but there's still a lot more that we can do so whilst i'm proud of where we are there's still a huge room for improvement <laughs> That's a great answer, and that is, you know, honestly, some really excellent figures there at, at leadership level, uh, which was specifically why I asked you, actually, because I know that there are many businesses that are absolutely doing their best, and for one reason or another, might be in an industry where, you know, it is particularly difficult to, to get you know, a diverse and eclectic mix, but actually to have kind of 52% uh, on the gender side, I mean, you've essentially got pretty much gender parity, which is excellent absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant and you know if you looked at kind of uh, you know that I, I don't know what they are now but say say the kind of the, the average metrics of of, of communities and, and and the split within the uk you're pretty much on uh, on on the nose when it comes to uh, to, to gender parity and the other different aspects uh, it's very representative of what of what we look like as, as as a nation you know in addition to obviously you know the fact that uh, right now we have to think about you know what our, what our customer base looks like and the people that we are serving you know we have to uh, you know represent that as well so I, I think you know that, that it's really really good to hear it's really really good to hear yeah I mean the leadership team as well I mean it's obviously stronger in different areas you know the usual the usual gender gender uh, places of HR and marketing and, and other areas still ring true but there are other you know we, we have a, an excellent female leader in mm -hmm. technology my leadership team is exactly 50 50. It's not designed by ratios. Um, I'm not a big fan of ratios in, in, in you know, mandatory ratios. I, I don't think that that solves the problem. Mm -hmm. I, I think that um, you end up putting people in a in a position where they're potentially not suited and uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and the people around them know that. Mm -hmm. But so it's more about the approach of getting to the ratio and how you support people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very uh -huh. interesting that you bring up ratios, actually, or ratios and or quotas, because, I mean, quotas in particular is a word that not many people like, and I understand why that is. And I would say, on the whole, in the past, I never used to be a massive fan, but as time has gone on and I've had more experience, not just looking at certain businesses, but having a broad spectrum viewpoint of many different organizations, some really are absolutely miles away and i have to say my perspective on ratios and quotas perhaps you know you know slightly conflicting to yours is that i believe that they need to be in place now i'm not saying that we should put them in place and we're literally just adhering to to the numbers because otherwise you, you 
can possibly end up with people in, in the wrong positions and they're not there because of skills and people make the presumption that, oh, they only got that job because they were female or because they're BAME or because they're LGBTQ+, etc. But as you have said, if you put those right support mechanisms in and the right people are taking those roles and you're giving them the opportunities for the right reasons, then it absolutely makes sense. And clearly, you guys and girls are doing that because you have got parity and you haven't got quotas. But there are other organisations where I look at I look at maybe what they're doing. Uh, and there are still organisations within the FTSE who have absolutely no gender parity, uh, sorry, have absolutely no gender representation on boards or on their non-exec boards. And you think, well... This is 21st century, and in fairness, if that is not the case, there have to be measures put in place because otherwise, just talking about it isn't going to solve the problem. If that makes sense. And it's, it, yeah, absolutely, and I, and I totally agree. I mean, the, the key the key thing there is is making sure that the people are supported in their development needs, and mm. everybody has them. It's not just around, you know, you know, gender, race, you know, uh, whatever it is. It, it, it's ensuring that person gets the skills they need to be able to to, to not just do the job but but excel in it. And I, I for a number of years I had a communications consultancy and I worked with a, a PR company in London and there was this one particular girl there and, and if she's listening she probably know, know she'll know that straight away who it is. But she was quite a timid, small frame and she really knew her stuff. But we'd go to meetings and I actually went to some of the meetings with her and her CEO. And she had the knowledge, but people would speak to the CEO because mm. of how she held herself in the meetings, right? And it's just using very simple, and this is not just around female or gender, you know, white middle-aged males have these issues where... Absolutely. You know, but to come and, 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 and command a presence in a room and know that, you know, you, you can drive change and deliver results for someone and get that credibility in a meeting. It's very small, simple techniques to get there. And it's little things like that that just make a world of difference so that people begin to influence meetings and strategies and outcomes and then confidence grows. And then this, this, young, this particular young girl ended up winning Young PR Woman of the Year um, after, after a year or so. And, and she's going on to have a, 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 the career that she should have. That's a great story. I absolutely love that. And that is where unconscious, but well, I say unconscious bias training. I know there are, again, some uh, conflicting views on unconscious bias training and the fact that it doesn't work. I personally think it is good because we all do have biases at the end of the day. And so recognizing them is absolutely key. But the example you, you gave there demonstrates perfectly you know, why we should not stereotype. And it's you know, it's an easy thing to do because we all do hold stereotypes. It's like the vast majority of, you know, of us, um, you know, who are senior within business have, have some kind of, kind of privilege. There's no point in us shying away from it. We just need to make sure that we recognize that and are comfortable speaking about it because um, had that have not been brought up or maybe you stepped in or have the coaching style that I know you're a big advocate of in situations like that, people aren't going to realize their full potential. And what you're really doing as a leader is just giving that little step up or often could just be a little arm around the shoulder to say, look, you know, you can do it. Or even having that CEO step to a side and let her come to the forefront to let her shine. Absolutely. And it's awareness on both sides. The CEO in terms of, you know, you know, whatever this lady's name is, why don't you answer that? But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm a big, I'm a believer in the training, right? Because mm -hmm. in bias training, because I have, a, I have a fairly strong view on education systems and, and I believe that they create a bias very early on because they 
condition people to be the same because everybody the same age across the whole country is trying to pass the same test, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that quite often that's unhelpful and ruins many, many good qualities in people such as, as creativity and what is a key time in their life. And it conditions people to think that, that they're unable or, or, or that they need to conform or that they can't actually be the best version of them. I think that everyone has a bias. And, and one thing that stands out for me in all of the great performers in, in business, life, sport, whatever, is that they, they know what their bias is and they are absolutely superb at not being constrained by it. Mm -hmm. so, so rather than kind of seeking to make the world fit and that to support their bias, they just recognize what their bias is as a starting point. And that's no different to communication styles, right? We naturally relate to people that communicate like we do. So, so the good thing about the training is it provides the awareness. So, I, you know, I, I think it's made a big difference in our organisation. It is really interesting what you said there formatively about education, because again, you know, I'm not at risk here of saying I agree so much, but I really do uh, agree. And, you know, just very brief, super brief personal story here is I'm dyslexic and I got a first class honours degree in my, my business management studies course and it was the highest in the year and I was delighted and, and, and mum and dad was delighted and all that kind of stuff. Got onto all of the interview processes for all of the big corporates whom I won't mention, you know, all the top FTSE organisations. Couldn't get through any of the tests, not one of them. I even applied for the HMRC who, I'm not saying I don't love the HMRC, but you know, let's say at that point I was really getting desperate. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but I literally, sorry for anyone who, who works for the HMRC, I do do love the HMRC, so please no offence caused at all. But literally I couldn't get through any of the tests and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, it's me. And it really knocked my confidence, which was kind of a then going off to, to start my own business and, and, and such like. But I, I always envied and wished for many years that I was in the corporate world like yourself, I, I would have loved to have had a, a career much like the career that you have had. And, uh, you know, I do wonder, especially now that we're looking at grassroots talent, we're looking at, thankfully, individuals that might have come from underprivileged areas and different, different types of educational backgrounds, whether actually because they've got creative minds, and you mentioned there the creativity, or, or they learn in different ways or are very good, but just not your, your classic stereotypical standard of, of what good in inverted commas may look like for the for the tests they are disregarded yeah I mean whilst I'd love to come on on, the, on, on your show and say I've got this great diversity story I haven't right I'm I'm, I'm conscious that I'm a white middle-aged you know male based in the UK and, and and my upbringing was wasn't brilliant but it wasn't awful either and, and when I went into private client stockbroking, it did, I actually had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it because my peers were people that had the very best schooling and, you know, daddy was head of Scotland Yard and it was still very kind of class driven. And that inspired me to kind of kick on and, and prove a point. And I think that there's so much talent, underprivileged talent that still gets wasted. It's an absolute passion of mine. And particularly in, in places like inner city areas and, and things where, young people particularly have already worked really hard and made some tough choices in their life choices that are even as a ceo of, a, a, of fairly large organizations would never have to make and and you see some of that right the, the gap in exam uh, success for people in the uk is an example that get free school meals i think the statistic is something like just over 32 percent pass rate 
of five GCSEs A to C um, at, compared to the national average of 60.3. And, you know, uh, it breaks my heart that, that potential innovation and results are just lost on such a huge scale based on where someone lives, who their parents are and their beginning in, the beginning in life. And, and my own view is that shouldn't happen in this world because quite often those people have the, the passion, desire, hunger, resilience, creativity to go on and do amazing things. And there's many examples of that. So I can concur, you know, like Richard Branson as a dyslexic as an example of that. My middle daughter's dyslexic. And, and you know, and I look at some of the challenges she have, and I, I, I've probably got a bit of that in me as well, in honesty. Mm -hmm. Dean, thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, I've got a number of comments or, or on it, if you wouldn't mind me saying, but I genuinely, I think that is such a beautiful, articulate story that you've just told there. And I really hope for all of our listeners, um, especially because you very modestly said, well, you know, you almost feel, you know, on the show, uh, which is called Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, you know, you're, you're a white guy in the UK and, and, you're, a, and you're a leader in a, in a very senior position. Actually, uh, you know, it's individuals like you that are incredibly inspirational and that really need, that we all really need as, as fantastic allies who really believe in the benefits of diversity and inclusion belonging can give other people confidence because not only have you described actually a, a really good example of um, of upward social mobility, which I, I wholeheartedly believe is, is a very, very big aspect of diversity and inclusion. Because let's face it, diversity and inclusion and belonging is not just about race, it's just about gender, etc. There's so many things which are invisible and below the surface level, whether it be social mobility, whether it be uh, you know, class, for example, we might not just know from, from looking at someone, uh, whether it be even mental health, which I think is particularly difficult actually for, for male leaders, specifically sometimes, because people presume sometimes that they wouldn't suffer uh, with mental health or, or with stress and such like and and, and uh, you know the presum presumption is they must be in a big confident male leader stereotype etc but actually that is another another key piece of uh, of dni but uh, you know it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant story and uh, like you I, I have a chip on my shoulder i think there's many leaders who do and, and interestingly about the the whole chip on the shoulder piece uh, like Branson and lots of those other famous entrepreneurs, I'm absolutely sure that that's been a real big drive when it comes to having the fire in the belly to to spur them on to to getting to where they are. I don't know whether the same has been for, for yourself, but clearly you were mixing with people who perhaps you felt quite different to. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 you can you can either use it as an excuse or you can use it to to drive you right. Um, and, and there's a big thing in there. So, so most, I think, of what we've spoken about already is, is based on culture and, and how you make people feel. And that, that, you know, and for me, that's D&I starts there, right? You've got to have inclusion is driven by a very empowered, open culture where people can have courage. Mm -hmm. and, and that, I think, touches hugely on the mental health piece. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason the reason that's so important, I mean, if, I'm a big believer that a lot of people in their lives struggle with mental health at some point. I have, and, and I make a point of selling that, you know, I don't need to be the, the, the big leader that everyone hides behind my wing. You know, that's not, in my opinion, what a strong leader is. At 23, 24 I, years old, I struggled with anxiety terribly. I, I ended up, you know, having a program with, you know, uh, in, in, you know, in particular, 
in a kind of hospital neck thing, it served me right. You know, I, I don't believe I could do my job as well as I do now without having that particular experience. And even in this environment, I, I, I would like to have the psychological safety in, in my businesses where staff can say if they're stuck at home, homeschooling kids, older parent or away from their family somewhere else in the world, they, they feel that they can pick the phone up to me or somebody else and, and share that because that's, that's absolutely a high-performing culture. And from sport, I've, I've asked many people, I ask them two questions that I meet. What makes the best-performing individuals the best? And what makes the best teams the best? And, and a variety of different famous and other non-famous people. And they all say the same thing about teams. It's psychological safety, where people can sit in a room or around the table or whatever and say what they really think without fear of being judged. And the very best teams have that in the, at the highest degree compared to normal or average teams and I, I think to your point or you know just creating an environment where that can happen is so critical and then that promotes inclusion and I don't believe you can get diversity without inclusion and if you do it's going to be for a very short period and so that's all driven by that I absolutely concur. Our inclusion is is far more important. Yes, of course, we want to have diverse uh, mindsets and experiences around the boardroom table. But if they're not bound together with the glue that is required, then then you know there's just no point. There's no point in having diversity without inclusion. Uh, I absolutely absolutely agree. Before we wrap up for today, I'm really keen uh, if it's okay with you. And I know that you've listened to a number of the other podcasts podcasts before. Uh, but we're going to move into the lightning round, if that's okay. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds literally uh, to answer uh, the next set of uh, following questions if that's all right Dean absolutely yeah let's do it okay good stuff so obviously we've been talking a lot about diversity and inclusion but what does diversity inclusion and belonging mean to you personally so for me it's, it's about how you make people feel in the organization that they are treated fairly and respectfully and are valued and they belong and we you know I speak a lot to people about being the best version of them each and every single day and that and, and that's kind of what leadership is right helping people achieve things that they didn't believe was possible so for me that you know we just spoke about inclusion becoming you know coming before diversity but it's creating that that culture of an impact empowerment where people can be the best version of themselves and belong you know what, what's the point in hiring somebody to change them do you know what i mean you want to bring the best out in them and that's very very hard to do but in business we're conditioned to do it great answer and another big one actually what's your secret to success for me i, I know it's a bad answer because it's probably a weakness of mine that hard work works and and um, and and just making sure that you can be the best version of you all of the time um, and some of that is quite simple in terms of it's doing the one percent of things that 99 percent of the people won't do and i say won't because i believe everybody can so i told you that the team the team example on psychological safety of what the best teams have if you ask most best sports psychologists what the best individuals have it's not this amazing genius magic it is the innate ability to do the mundane things continually better with consistency each and every single day. That is excellence and elite performance. And very, very few people are willing to do it. Everybody can. I truly believe that. It's so true. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. 
Absolutely, spot on. And, uh, and what about authentic leadership? I know we have talked a lot about courageous conversations and such and culture, but what does authentic leadership, which perhaps is an overused term these days, what does that mean to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, integrity and, and authenticity go hand in hand, right? And I, and I believe that you have to be yourself as a leader, as a person, because particularly in times like this in crisis, you, you can't lie, you need to make decisions quick. People see a different side. And through my career, I've been running businesses where the building has caught on fire or, or, you know, people have passed away and you've got to speak to their family and colleagues. The only way to be is yourself. And I see so many people in business try and be a different version of them. And, and I think that's a waste of effort and time. Be the best version of you and be comfortable with it. And as a, as a backstreet Essex boy, if you want to put it like that, I could spend ages polishing my speech and doing other things. But is that really going to make me effective? And, and do I really want to be and put myself in a place where someone would judge me on that over my ability to bring teams together and achieve results? It's probably not where I want to be. I love that. And finally, if you could go back in time and speak to that young Essex lad, Dean, what would you say if you could give your, your younger self some advice or indeed someone who is perhaps from a similar background and facing some of the challenges that you might have had when you were younger? Yeah, there's, there's two pieces of advice and, and, and I wouldn't change a lot, by the way, because I think that the bad times are just as, as beneficial, but I would be more confident and trust myself. You know, you can go through periods of, of kind of doubting and if I look back now, I wish I had more conviction and confidence and I could maybe be intimidated by other more successful people at different levels of the organisation, but, but really believe in who I was. And I think that that comes with age, unfortunately, to a lot of people, but it would be trust. And the other thing actually is around um, making myself uncomfortable more and, and making more mistakes. Um, particularly even if you take a sporting analogy or business, so many people are worried about making mistakes where they operate in their comfort zone, which means that they very, very rarely achieve their full potential. So um, I, I, I'm a strong believer in making yourself uncomfortable because that's absolutely where growth is. So my two things, believe in myself more, mess up more really. Mm -hmm. Biggest learning lessons are absolutely in those times where we trip up and fall, aren't they? Yeah, someone, someone spoke to me once about career and I, I had two kind of fairly downward dips in my career. And as a, particularly as a, as, a, as, a, as a young person, your career kind of goes linearly upwards. And they said it doesn't always happen like that. There's many famous cases that, you know, Muhammad Ali didn't box between 25 and almost 29 years old, I think, in his prime. Sinatra didn't have a recording contract at 35. Steve Jobs didn't have a job at 30. Every successful person has had those really downward periods of their life. And I think you've almost got to embrace them to achieve your full potential. Otherwise, you just kind of leave it there a little bit and just and, and steady. So um, I had a very conservative father and things like that. And, and so I wanted to step out of the zone a little bit. But it's, it's taken me till uh, later years in my life to, to do it well. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dean, for sharing not only the personal stories, but some of the really interesting insight when it comes to business. I think uh, it's been a brilliant podcast, and I know that all of our listeners will have got a, a huge amount of learning points from today. Thank you so much for having me, Leila. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you, Dean. And by way of my usual summary, there have been a whole number of learning points today, but I think certainly the pieces that really resonated for, for, for me were very much about uh, how you make people feel and actually the fact that belonging applies to pretty much every person on the planet and affects us, uh, you know, often quite a lot at different stages of our, our life and our career, whether it be when we're younger or whether it be within a boardroom environment. So certainly really considering and being open-minded to our biases and to how people feel so that we can continue uh, to really support and harness the power of great teams and, and having a great culture has been absolutely uh, fascinating to, to hear today. But also what I thought was just so, uh, so beautiful and so lovely and a really great example to other leaders is the honesty and modesty and, uh, and kind of genuine vulnerability that, that you talked about, Dean, when it came to kind of being vulnerable, being anxious, or maybe feeling like you didn't fit in. I, I think, you know, there's many who, who are going, climbing up the, the corporate poles within a world of business at the moment who, who have this perception that those on the board, those on leadership teams perhaps have got it all and, and just happen to magically appear there one day. It's absolutely not the case. And I think the more that business leaders can talk out about and be great role models for others and great allies as well to, to diverse, inclusive individuals, the absolute better because we are all human beings. None of us are perfect. And ultimately, we must embrace what we have. And um, you know, same applies for, for what you said there in business, Dean. You know, for those who are having difficult times right now, it is difficult sometimes to see the positive side. But as Dean said, you know, many of the, the biggest business successes and, and individual successes were born out of those times of hardship. So let's try and look at the glass being half full and, uh, and look at what opportunities we can create out of the present circumstances. So, uh, so thank you very much again, Dean, for, for joining me today. If you would like to get in touch with Dean, you can reach out to him. He is on LinkedIn. I'll put all of his contact details as well into the podcast show notes at the end of today's show. Um, and you can visit us at www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast. If you didn't manage to take everything down from today, don't worry at all. Everything will be there along with the key learning points for you to take away with you. If you were affected by anything at all from today's show or, or mental health or, or anything at all that we spoke about, um, please don't be a stranger. Please do make sure you get in touch and you can check out our COVID-19 support hub as well. Uh, we've got lots of great content on there. The podcast is now going out twice weekly so we can be there uh, during these times for, for anyone who, who wants to listen in and hear about other individuals, their stories and how they're making it through these unprecedented times. Thanks again and look forward to seeing you again soon.